Hello everybody, this is Chanel Patrice Hancock from Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast on Anchor.fm. I wanted to start off by thanking the sponsors of the show, Flipboard.com and Anchor.fm for sticking with me for the past seven months. You can find them both at Anchor.fm and Flipboard.com where you can make free podcasts, have guests, and do whatever type of show you want for free. And that's the cool part about it. And it's accessible with screen readers such as VoiceOver for the Mac, NVDA, System Access, Linux, and JAWS for Windows for the PC. And Flipboard.com, you can go for your newspaper articles, Sports Illustrated, Jet Magazine, subscriptions. It's all 100% free and it's accessible with your screen readers as well. You can download both apps on the Google Play Store, if you have an Android phone, the iTunes Store, and you can enjoy both apps at your leisure. That's Anchor.fm, where Chanel's Language Learning Podcast is created, and Flipboard.com, where you can read information about industry experts and politics, film, sports, ETC, and anything else that you love to read at your fingertips. So check them both out. And tell them that Chanel Patrice Hancock sent you there. Thank you to the people who have been sticking with me. To the new listeners out there, you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Play Store, Podbean, Audiocast, Radiocast, Radio Public, Apple, iTunes, Podcasts, or anywhere where there are podcasts that you can download for free. Now, to today's episode of the podcast, episode 96. We are four episodes away from 100, you guys. Four. Can you believe it? I can't. And it's amazing, and I'm completely excited about it. But what I'm really excited about is episode 96 with my guest, legendary language acquisition expert who coined the term language acquisition, comprehensible input, any of the terms that polyglots and linguists use today on a daily basis. He talks about reading for fun and that you can learn languages this way. And he talks about how he learned his languages and how he's still learning languages and how he tries to make the world a better place for everybody when talking about language learning and theory. And his name is synonymous with the sure joy of language learning, Mr. Stephen Krashen. So I hope everyone enjoys this interview with him. It's going to be a treat that no one is going to forget, especially me. It took me some time to get him on the show. And so I am very grateful to Mr. Krashen for him taking the time to let me interview him. So I just want to say, I hope everyone enjoys episode 96 with Mr. Stephen Krashen.
recording? Well, I, you're, you're going in and out. Oh, we are recording. Thank you for coming on the show. I oh. figured out how to use Skype and record now. Oh, wonderful. I'd like to say in advance that this program is brought to you by ibuprofen and Robitussin, which have got me, gotten me through the day, let me tell you. I oh, love wow. drugs. This is wonderful. <laughs> and never get on an airplane when you've got a cold. Oh, no, it's not the greatest. And then don't ever get on an airplane when someone else has one either. Yeah, I try not to do that, but I had no choice this time. So, um, what are we going to do today? Um, well, uh, my podcast show is about language learning uh, from a visually impaired standpoint. And I like to interview people who are in the language learning community who have done like amazing things from language acquisition to their own podcast. Their, you know, I've always else. liked you. I've always liked you, Chanel. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Um, have been following your stuff for a little while now. Um, of course, um, I did interview Ollie Richards some time ago, and so I got He's an to... interesting guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, yeah, he, he is completely cool. Um, yeah. I saw the interview that he did with you at Langfest 2017, and I just thought right. that was, like, totally cool. I was like, wow. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and I, I found your story to be so interesting how you, you know, learned German and the way you learned it and how you, you know, kind of helped coin the term language acquisition and, and comprehensible input. And, you know, people ask me all the time, how do I learn? And I said, oh, well, I learn by ear. So, you know, not, a, not everything is visual and, and you don't necessarily have to learn a language, you know, just by looking at a page. You know, a lot of your early development in language as a child, especially when you come out of the wound, those first 12 months are nothing but you can't communicate, you know. So you're right. taking in all of that information and you're finally spitting it out like a, you know, a year and a half. So um, even though we're adults, you know, we don't we don't necessarily learn in that way, but we learn through you know, exposure to a lot of different content, whether it's the radio, TV, books. Um, and so I said, you know, I would love to interview Stephen Crash. And oh my God, that would be like totally awesome. You know, because my, my listeners, they have heard from a lot of the, you know, the younger polyglots, yet they've not heard from someone that's you know been working in the field of language acquisition for over 40 years and i wanted them to have a totally different exposure to what you know language learning is you know from an academic point of view and you know a little bit more of a scientific point of view because it is different you know a lot of people have this thing where they don't think that you know reading a book you're you you can't, like, you can get information, but does it stick? Does it not stick? And I was like, well, you you had to learn all your subjects when you were in school, so you had to read, didn't you? <laughs> you know, so you did have, to, you know, a lot of exposure to different subject matter, whether it was math, science, history, philosophy, theater, you know, you, you had to read it in your own tongue. And so you acquired all that information over time, and you had to spill it back out, whether it was for a test 
or speech or whatever you were using it for. So, I mean, language learning kind of works similarly, you know. Oh, boy, yes, yes. So you want to know what's new? Sure. Okay. Here's what's new. What's new happened this morning. That's how new it is. Uh, I flew from Cincinnati to Denver with my colleague, Benico Mason. We did a workshop. And then I flew back from Denver. And we've had long conversations the last few days. And here's the latest generalization. Okay, going back in history. Yes, it's true. We think that you acquire language when you understand it which is the major breakthrough called mm -hmm. comprehensible input. When you mm -hmm. understand what people tell you, you understand what you read, et cetera. Mm -hmm. In order for it for really to happen, optimal input is the way we say it now. Mm -hmm. The input not only has to be comprehensible, it has to be linguistically rich. There has to be a lot of language there. So you're mm -hmm. always getting what you need all the time. Which is why immersion doesn't always work, because people aren't always tell, giving you what you need. You have kind of trivial conversations all day long. Uh, that's, that's what could happen. Third, it's got to be interesting. If it's not interesting, you're not going to pay attention to the input. And our conjecture now is that the best input, optimal input, is not just interesting. It's so interesting that you temporarily forget that it's in another language. We call this compelling. This is from based on the work of a psychologist named Chinsek Mahali. No, I will not spell it, uh, but it's from his book called Flow, F-L-O-W. When you're in a state of flow, the activity is so interesting that only the activity counts. The world disappears around you. Your sense of self disappears. Your sense of time disappears. They've done really cool papers on this articles. Chinsek uh, uh, Mahali's uh, Colleague, colleagues have done research in Italy. They've interviewed mountain climbers in northern Italy. What's it like being up there in the mountain? Oh gosh, everything else just stops. The world disappears. Only the activity counts. Uh, my who I am is irrelevant. Then they interviewed young men who rode their motorcycles really loud down the streets of downtown Tokyo at one in the morning, really enjoying it. And they wanted to know why they did it. And the hypothesis was, the major hypothesis was they did it to impress the girls, which got a little bit of support, but I don't think the girls are awake at one o'clock in the morning in downtown Tokyo. It turns out, you really talk to these guys, they say, I'm on the motorcycle, the world disappears. I no longer am aware of who I am. It's only the motorcycle. It's the sense, just about ecstasy that you get into. And I think this applies to language acquisition as well. The best acquisition in another language, you're not trying to learn the language. You're not paying attention to how the person is using irregular verbs. You're just excited about what they say. You're focused on that. So our to summarize uh, our feelings now, our hypotheses, the best input, optimal input, is comprehensible. There's a lot of it, and it is compelling. And the latest paper on this, I wrote for the Korea TESOL group, and I'll be able to share it at the end of a month or two. The uh, feeling has been that some people have a special gift for languages. Like, like you, Chanel, you obviously have a gift for language because you've done all this stuff and you're so accomplished, on, et cetera, et cetera. Ollie Richards obviously is special. This attitude 
was presented to me when I was in Hungary. And I met this polyglot named Lomkato. This was about 25 years ago. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, more than that. My goodness. And uh, she knew 17 languages. And I, you know, when I was there, I went to see her. We had wonderful time, et cetera. And when I, while I was there, I kind of took advantage of my relationship with Lomkato. I bragged about how I've been hanging out with Lomkato when I met all, all the linguists in Budapest and all that and Page where I was. And they all said the same thing. They said none of them had studied her work. None of them had met her. None of them had read her book. They all said, oh, she's different. She has a different kind of brain. What, like two left hemispheres? I, I can't imagine. Or a, a very special medulla oblongata? I don't think so. What she said, what uh, Steve Kaufman says, another polyglot, is it's this open attitude that does it. And I think that's a big part of it. And it's going out and getting the right input. Here's today's hypothesis. Really exciting. If you get optimal input, that means comprehensible, rich, and compelling everybody's gifted everybody does well in second language acquisition and you're all you all do it around the same rate the same speed and we've got evidence that says this might be true in this mm-hmm. exciting you you have to interrupt by saying wow every so often then i'll feel better oh okay. yeah I, i'm okay. absorbing all this information I'm like, oh wow. thank you thank you okay good thank you thank you okay great um because I think this is just sensational stuff. This is data from Benico Mason, uh, done in Japan, where she's involved with English as a foreign language. Mm-hmm. She gives a class for the community, kind of in addition to her professorial uh, duties. Mm-hmm. And the class is story, story listening, which is her specialty, telling interesting stories, making them comprehensible in the second language. The homework is graded readers, doing lots and lots and lots of easy reading. Right. When the year was over, some of the students said, you know, we'd like to do this more. Can we do this with you on our own? And she said, sure. If you take alternate forms of the TOEIC test, the standardized test that's the rage all throughout Asia, I call it TOEIC fever, mm-hmm. uh, and if you keep track of what you read. They did it. She had about 12 subjects who did it. Raging in age from 26 to 78. Isn't that cool? And they all made pretty much the same gains on the TOEIC, anywhere from 22 weeks to a year and a half. They all gained about the same, which is really striking. And they all read different things. It was all kind of light fiction, et cetera. But someone, one guy, I thought he was, I'd like to meet this guy. He read only Harlequin romances. He must be an interesting fellow as far as I'm concerned. Uh, others were reading more elementary books, others more advanced books, et cetera. But they all got more or less the same rate. For every hour they read, they gained about a half a point on the TOEIC exam, which means you read an hour a day for two years, you go from intermediate to just about to the top. What I'd like to do with these polyglots, uh, all these, you know, I went to the poly, when I went to that polyglot conference, it was, wow, was it fun? I noticed, I would, I would ask them this question, what kind of experiences you had? And I'll bet all of them, Ollie Richards, the whole gang, will give you similar answers that can be interpreted. I got a lot of comprehensible input. Uh, the input was rich, it was, and it was extremely interesting. I think that will be the universal. So today's hypothesis is not just comprehensible input. It's got to be comprehensible, rich, and so interesting 
you forget that it's in another language and you're lost in the book, lost in the conversation. Uh, that's today's breakthrough. I predict that when people get that, they're all going to go at the same rate and they're going to go real fast. And so-called gifted language acquirers, people who are polyglots, this is how they did it. And I'll bet that none of them claim they did it through grammar and memorization, obviously. None, right. of, them did, none of them did it with the regular methods. So how about that? No, that is, that's awesome. I mean, right now, I mean, before you called, I was, I was actually using the Mango app. Um, and I was actually learning um, some, how to order some food in Thai. Oh, my. And I actually went to a Thai restaurant on Tuesday with a friend of mine because I wanted some Thai food. But my whole aim yes. was that I wanted to speak in Thai and I wanted to have a small conversation and order some food. And I did just that. Oh, With the wonderful. little bit of Thai that I had. Well, as we say in Thai, Mazel Tov. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Oh, That's great. Oh, gosh. Vincon Amerikan Mata America. Um... Katoka, my thai, tate thai, my thai, king, one eye, akadi. This is great. Thai. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and it, I, like, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll do a chapter and then I'll let, let it simmer in my head for a little while, like 24 hours. And then I'll go back and then I'll go to another one and I'll continue doing this process and then I'll, I'll throw it up in a video on oh, Facebook, my. you know, so people can hear what I'm doing. And people are like, have you ever spoken an Asian language before? No, uh-huh. <laughs> but a lot, but I did have a lot of music training when I was in, yeah, when I, I was in elementary school. I so. wonder about that. I really don't know. I really, everybody asks that question. I really don't know. My background is in music. I have an undergraduate degree in music history, okay? Uh, oh. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to be a pianist and all that. And what happened was I wanted to catch up in piano, and my teacher uh, mm -hmm. suggested I go study with his teacher in Vienna, Frau Hinterhofer. And I did that. My, my generous parents, my God, I think back. They were so nice. Uh, I went and studied with Frau Hinterhofer, and after about, Two months, I gave up. She was impossible. She didn't like me. I didn't like her. But my wonderful parents said I could stay in Vienna as long as I wanted to. And I stayed for the rest of the year. I practiced the piano all day. But German, it was so much fun. That's what changed things. I oh, really awesome. got Yes, I went to German class. I had friends. I went to movies. I had a buddy who recommended books. And my landlady recommended books and all that. And that's where it all began. But I don't know if music itself... Uh, really helps. This is everybody has this. I'm not against it. I, I'm open. Everybody has this as, as a hypothesis, but I haven't seen any serious studies on it. What is true, and you'll I think agree with this from your interaction with polyglots at like polyglot conferences, the people who are good at languages are friendly. Isn't that true? Oh yes, yes. Yeah, you... they're pleasant. They're nice, so they get more input. They like people. The input is more compelling. It really right. fits, and people talk to them. 
I, I did a case history of a, a young man named Armando who mm -hmm. came to the United States when he was uh, very young. He had just a few years education in Mexico. And like several other kids, he got a job in a restaurant, ethnic restaurant, not only acquired English, but acquired the language of the restaurant. I interviewed him in, in Hebrew, got him some samples and played it for native speakers. They thought he was really good. And it was through interaction and making friends. The people who owned the restaurant, the family really loved him. And the moment I sat and talked to him, I knew this was a nice guy. He looked you right straight in the face, talked to you as if you were a person, as if he was really happy to meet you. So I think this is part of it, and this is consistent with this idea. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen that. Well, I mean, I haven't been to a polyglot conference yet. Uh, well, I still got to get my passport. Okay. But I, ha I did go to Women in Language this year for the first time, and I did partake in a lightning round talk um, about um, learning languages using audio and braille methods instead of, you know, visual right. methods. And, exactly. And so a lot of people were like, I didn't know there was two different braille codes. I mean, two, well, there's 200 different ones yep. from all over the world. But what people fail to realize is they get braille mixed up with, with actual physical verbal language and braille is not considered a language. It's considered a system of reading and writing for literacy purposes in mathematics, science, things of that nature. So if you know how to read and write, you are literate if you're blind or visually impaired, but there's some controversy on that because of the fact that not everybody gets taught Braille. Okay, let's let's say impaired. let's say you are comfortable with at least mm -hmm. one version of Braille and very right. comfortable and you can read for pleasure, etc. Can right. you get better in the language that you're reading by doing it in Braille? Um, you can, you, well, as far as your vocabulary, as far, all this, yeah. your vocabulary, your writing, um, your punctuation, you know how everything is, is, is done. Um, I, my, I will say this, um, because I learned Spanish in college over 19 years ago at community college in Cleveland, I mm -hmm. learned it all auditory. So, you know, it was before the internet became, you know, what it became. And before social media, so I just had a regular textbook, Como Se Dice, edition six, and then I had um, some CDs to go with it, and that was it. And yep. I had people read to me constantly, there and you I go. did the whole workbook. And I mean, I, I absorbed it all. I was good at the grammar, and then, of course, the vocabulary came after the fact. So I had to find me something to entertain myself because I didn't live on the, east side, on the west side of Cleveland. I lived on the east side. So I wasn't around a lot of Latina Americans where I could speak Spanish. So I would do about 12, 12 and a half hours a week of Spanish study. And about 10 of those hours came from me sitting with a tutor in the learning center doing the work in the, in the book. Oh. And then listening to like music over and over and over and over and over again and just singing to the songs because I didn't have the internet. I didn't do, you know, I wasn't any type of chat forums or anything like what we have today. So I pretty much did very well with the grammar, um, but there wasn't enough speaking in class. It was basically rote learning. 
Yep. And, and unfortunately I was, I, I got all B's in the class and everything. They wanted me to go to Mexico and Cuba for like one month, just because they knew I would be fluent after that. Right. I actually had, um, I think my third semester of Spanish, my 2010 level, the lady was part Caucasian, part Mexican, part German. So she spoke fluent German, Spanish, and English. And she taught Spanish and she would put me and my friend who's completely blind up in front of the class. And huh. we would sit there and we would have to speak in Spanish. We weren't allowed to use any English. And I was the one speaking in Spanish because he thought he was too cool to do it. But huh. there was something that was different about him. He got, he was able to go on and watch Telemundo and tell you everything that was going on. Really? What was the difference? How, he was more. Get... He, he was more on the vocabulary side, and he actually did have people that he could talk to on his side of town, and okay. I didn't. I would so... predict part of the difference is how much oral, comprehensible input he had and you had. Right. Interesting stories. Stories is the answer we think now. Stories is the center of everything. If right. you had a couple of hundred hours of fascinating stories that were somehow made comprehensible and you right. got ex excited about the stories, then the speaking would come. Right. It wasn't until much later that I found out I was even fluent in Spanish without uh -huh. having to speak because I did so much singing oh. to the same stuff for like 20 years. Yeah. But I did live with a Mexican family for 10 months in California when I was after I graduated from film school and my listening comprehension had become way more advanced because all they did right. was speak Spanish and they treated me like I was a member of the family. So exactly when I uh, was there, I learned so much about Mexican culture and I learned about, you know, their work ethic and the family structure and all that. And it was so interesting to me that when I moved out, I, it all clicked. And when you were learning all that stuff from them, they were speaking to you in Spanish, right? They were speaking to each other in Spanish. They were speaking to me in English. So, oh, and how much of it did you understand when they were talking to each other? A lot of it. Okay. A that lot was, of it. That was a powerful source of input because right. you were interested. You were no longer aware it was in Spanish. It was just very interesting information. Right. That's my and, prediction. And then I, I realized I was fluent like as of last year when I had to talk to somebody and they were living in Mexico with their Mexicano um, boyfriend and I had to speak for two hours in Spanish and I realized I was fluent because even though I didn't remember certain words, I was able to substitute sure. other words sure. for the words I didn't remember. And then I had a headache for like, two hours after it was over. Like I had the biggest migraine ever. Like uh, I had pushed myself that hard to keep focused on what I was doing. Like <laughs> afterwards I finished. And then the next day, I mean, it wasn't even like 10 minutes after I went from that call, somebody from Columbia called me and said, do you want to practice? And I'm like, I can't, my brain is, is gone. I mean, like literally I felt like it was about to explode. And wow. so and I remember Ollie Richards saying this once when he was on his podcast that he had done that, that happened to him himself when he was learning his Spanish and his Brazilian Portuguese. And he was confusing the two and, and he did more practice with both. 
going from back and forth, back and forth with both of them. And the more he did it, he did it for like more than like two hours. He was speaking for like four and five, six hours at a time. And his brain was just gone. <laughs> he felt like he was about to explode. And, but that was with Spanish. But then when I had a two hour conversation with my friend's mother who spoke no English. Yep. She only spoke German and she only spoke Russian. And I spoke to her in Russian for two hours about a variety of different things. I had no oh. headache. Okay. No headache. So, what is your, what do you think is going on? Why was that true? Maybe because that conversation was a lot more interesting than the one that I was having in Spanish. And I felt uh-huh. like I was being forced to have uh-huh. to speak something that I didn't want to speak. Exactly. I, yeah, or so, the topic, the topic was not right. In other words. Right, right. I mean, nowadays, I can just rattle off in Spanish, but I mean, because I also had negative, negative responses um, when I would speak Spanish to people, especially from Mexico, when I was in California, and it, it was not, it was never good. So my self-esteem went down, but then well, I, yeah. did, I did not want to really speak it because of the fact that the languages I wanted to learn weren't available. So uh-huh. Spanish was the only language, and I wanted to learn Italian, French, Russian, those That's languages. True. So, I've had these experiences, too, to insert a little footnote here and mm-hmm. a strategy uh, where people, especially if you're in the United States, you're not going to get input from people. It's going to be in English, of course. In fact, right. my family in Israel, uh, all of them speak English as well as we do, all right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of pointless. Anyway. Uh, and you go into a restaurant in Tel Aviv and you order in in Hebrew and they, they always answer in English because they hear the accent. But here in the United States, in California, with Mexican-Americans, uh, I, I discovered the key. And when the conversation begins, I try to insert, mi meta es hablar español como ustedes. I want to speak Spanish the way you do. And they they get uh, they get the message that I'm really sincere. Right. And that really opens it up. But that right. is a barrier. People don't want to talk. Absolutely. Right. Or terrific. they'll talk to each other, but they won't talk to you. Exactly. They're excluding you. But then try that. You know, quiero hablar con como status. Oh, oh, really? Oh, I'm glad to help. You know, right. <laughs> shows right. respect, respect for the language. Right. We have to show them that we are really serious. We really like the language, et cetera, which is always true with us, of course. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I live I live like 50 minutes away from my birthplace of Cleveland, Ohio. And so here in Akron, they have such a high rate of people from all over. You name it, it's here. And they live, all live on the north side. And I used to volunteer for a nonprofit organization called Project Learn of Summit County where they help people, you know, get their GEDs, get their citizenship, yeah, get, yeah. you know, uh, learn English. And I was working in their uh, ESL uh, class. And, of course, some of them were from the Middle East, some of them were from Nepal, some of them were from Eastern Europe and Asia. And so we had a lot of Chinese. And we had a couple uh-huh. of Japanese. And we had we had someone from Taiwan and right. you know, Korea and all that. And it was great. And I did a little demonstration for them because, you know, in some of those countries, when you're dealing with people that are blind and visually impaired, I hate to say this about Asia, but it's not the most friendly. Mainland China is not the most welcoming to people that are blind or visually impaired. They I just, see. I see. They're, they're not. And 
There are people that have gone over there. They wanted to go on top of the Great Wall. Okay. And they have a little yeah. lift that you can go on. But if you're disabled, they're not taking you. You could forget. Oh, oh, that's really cold. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, people are fighting internationally for for people that are disabled to be able to experience those same cultural sites as everybody else. Of course. And, I mean, there are places in the world where blind people are shunned. Iran is another. Um, oh, really? Oh, my. Yeah. They don't educate their blind. They, they, uh, Afghanistan oh. is another place. There's wow. certain parts of India that's another place. I mean, literally, if you educate a blind person or you give them a cell phone or you try to give them the internet, um, you know, uh, well, let's see. Somebody's going to be put to death. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I've heard some horror that's, stories, that's and pretty, I'm just like, bad. yeah, I've heard some serious horror stories, and I'm just like, um, now, mind you, Japan is a lot more open. Oh, really? Yeah, um, because uh-huh. there was someone that was totally blind that went with their church and taught English, and they actually had to prove to these people that they didn't need them to come and get them to bring them to work every day, and so they would wait right. like 30 minutes before they got there. Just to prove the point, you know. <laughs> but but they also had to understand that there were certain parts of the world where you have to be able to understand someone else's culture. Just don't study the language, study the culture of that country because there are certain rules, laws, you know, you want to heed by. If you go to Russia, you better report to the police as soon as you get there. Or Is you, that true? Where, oh. mm-hmm, yeah, because they have to keep track of you. They have to keep track of everybody that comes up in that place. Like, oh, literally. Wow. It's, it's like a police state over there. Well, I mean, they have to do it for obvious reasons because of the terrorism situation. You know, they're always right. getting threats. So, um, you know, if you go over there and you're over there for an extended period of time, it doesn't matter if it's a week. You have to, wherever register. you're staying, they have to register with the police and everything and and with your apartment landlord or wherever you're staying, whatever hotel, it doesn't matter. That, pff, yeah, you got to do that. And they have two sets of passports, one for in the country and one for out of the country. Wow. So you want to travel around, you need a passport in locally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Y- yes. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, I mean, I spent about three and a half years studying Russian independently. And I think I only spent $150 altogether. Um, I bought Michelle Thomas course and then I used library resources and then I have uh-huh, a friend that works at in, innovative language learning and she gives me three months of whatever language I want. So I just downloaded the app and I download all the information to the, to my app in the library. And once the uh, membership expires, I get to keep all the information. Exactly. So, so right now I probably have about 10 languages Oh, from gosh. innovative language by That's itself. That's so cool. Yes. Yeah. So, Your story is very inspiring, let me tell you. Oh, this thank, is great. yeah. It's it's funny to me too because like I you know, I didn't think four years ago that I would I would become known for being as, a public lab, yeah. Right, right, right. And I mean, okay, so I'm not getting paid for it or anything like that. But I mean, I, I've only had my podcast for 13 months or so and i have like 8.4k listeners from 74 countries wow you know well there 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 is a school of thought that says we're all different and we all have different gifts and picasso says the route to happiness 
is to develop your talent and give it away, which is what you're doing. Right. That's the only thing. And school, of course, ignores all that. They think we're all the same. And school is supposed to help you find what you want to do, your, your own path. The, right. the, the interesting thing about this, you'll identify with this, Chinsek Mahali says this, if everybody were good at the same thing, the human race, if everyone were interested in the same thing, the human race would never survive because we wouldn't be able to adapt to new situations. I got right. the idea. It's time to talk about movies. I got the idea from a violent movie I saw on the airplane uh, with Denzel Washington, who was the only person who could have played the role. He played a retired CIA agent who spends his, his whole life was, you know, learning how to kill people. And he was really good at it. And then mm -hmm. when the time the movie's over, what do I do with my life? I go out and help people. Got a problem? Let me know. The movie begins with a quote from Mark Twain. The two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you discover why. And you discovered why. That's interesting. And you feel, and these things language for you, they seem natural. They seem like it's something you should be doing. That's not true of other people. Other people have their own path. So you're happy because you found your path. I'm the same way. It took me a while because just like you, language wasn't uh, the kind of language I like to do, was never presented in school. I came along right. too early for that. But once right. I found it, happiness, no question. And you'll do it for free. People right. listening don't, don't get any ideas. But in general, you know, we just love it so much, we'll do it. And language, all the, the 10 languages you worked on and all that, you didn't do it for money. You did it because that just felt like the right thing to do. Right. And I mean, it's kind of funny because when I list off the, the languages, I can speak to various degrees. And I, I let people know right away, I am not native. And I, 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 I have this big problem where... I have posted on Twitter earlier. I said, you know, people need to sit back and enjoy the process of learning. Oh, you know, do it, yes. Do it. Oh, yes. Don't don't go to a place and, you know, go to a place, have a conversation and enjoy yourself. I had fun with the little bit of time that I was speaking and come to find out the chick that I was speaking with had lived in the same town that I lived in when I was in California. Going to wow. Wow. And well, I was like, fun. Fun means you found your path. Right. Having fun means you're doing something that you were meant to do. Wow. No wonder you liked it. So. Yeah. And, and it was, and, and actually on the way there, I was actually studying how to ask for food and drink in the car. And I was able to put the information that I had just learned in action right after I got there. Well, I'd like you to be in a position where you can get to the computer and download thousands of interesting stories in all these languages. Then you'd be able to order food. No problem. It's going to be oh, all yeah. no study, uh, yeah, no deliberate I, learning. Well, you That's, know, it's so, it's so funny, though, because like I, I told myself, I said, um, what I usually do is I'll look up stuff like on YouTube. YouTube's my friend. Um, I use SBS radio a lot. Right. Um, um, I use Mango languages because I'm all about the space repetition situation. I mean, because yeah, but comprehensible I mean. input has space repetition automatically. Right. How about that? Oh yeah, trust yeah. me. That 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 I do do like I'll I'll have a foundation. Like I'll use Pimsleur a little bit, but I'm it's oh, yeah. so slow. 
yeah. that for me, I'm just like, okay, I, I like Michelle Thomas. So what I what I'm doing now, because I like the way that Mango's set up, you know, I can do a lesson a day, or I can do two lessons in a day, or I can do a chapter in a day, and it and it helps me like figure out like I'll map out in my brain like how the the words are supposed to be in my See, brain. See, that that's that's the linguist in you. For me, I want to hear the story. Um, Just the story. Period. I want a good story period. I've gotten really excited about fiction over the last 15 years, how powerful it is, how much it teaches us. Speaking of that, I never read The Godfather in English. So what Uh I did was because I wanted to read some Italian stuff, I found The Godfather in ebook on on, um, iTunes. Good good for you. And and I I read the whole, well, I mean, I had voiceover read it to me in Italian. Um, uh, I read all 470 pages of Godfather in Italian. And because I had saw the movie so many times and I knew it, I, I was just like riveted by what I was reading. And I was like, oh my God, this is okay. This is when this happened. And, you know, and it, it yeah, was the so, pleasure of rereading. Yeah. And then I also finished the first book of the Hunger Games series in Italian. I found all those books and I try to find stuff that I have that I, um, I've read like I read the Hunger Games once in English, uh-huh. and I actually read that and the Fifty Shades of Grey all in the same week. Oh my goodness! Huh. In English, and then I went to go see the first movie, and then I was disappointed because I didn't. I couldn't watch the movies because I liked the books so much that the movies just seemed silly. The books were the real thing. That's not right. usually the case with me. I'm, I'm generally okay. By the way, yeah. Hunger Games for me is a characterization of how the U.S. Department of Education works, pitting people against each other, having contests, creating artificial losers. Right. And the, re- the whole thing about Hunger Games, way off the topic now, but I can't resist. Besides, we've bonded so I can do these things with you now, okay? That is the second part when Katniss re-enters the arena. Right. And her, and her coach says, remember who the real enemy is. It's not the other cities. It's the capital. So we have all these competitions in education. Get this grant. Get this grant. Compete against them. No, it's everybody should have funding to do all this stuff. They, right. So, boy, that, Hunger Games was amazing. I loved it. But I've done the I, same thing you have. You get I read books that I've read partially in English, and then you have a little head start, and you just keep going, and it's wonderful. Right. I mean, that's just like, okay, I I mean, people thought I was crazy when I was telling them that I would, because I, I had the opportunity to, like, interview Richard Simcott and Alex Rawlings. Isn't know. he interesting? Richard Both? Simcott? My yes. gosh. He, yeah. says, he says he's messed around with 50 languages. What a guy. Um, yeah, because I was telling him, I said, you know, I'm learning basic Turkish. Yeah. And I'm a big history buff, too. So, um. I love history, period. And I yeah. mean, my favorite parts of history were Russian history, um, Asian history, um, the Middle East. Um, I actually took a class through the Hadley School for the Blind and Visually Impaired about four years ago, all in Braille. And mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to relearn world history because I didn't have it when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I did it and, and I took my time because it was only 18 chapters you know 18 lessons and so I went and I would have to write these papers and read all this stuff and out of all of it every single 
part of it. The best parts to me were the Middle East, the Crusades, the, you know, the Italian Renaissance. Um, I enjoyed Russian history a great deal. That, that part in Asian history. The rest of it, I was just like, okay, you know what? I understand what the hell y'all did. You know, <laughs> slavery, they had like one chapter on slavery. And I was just like, okay, well, that's, mm, what do you expect? So, so are we ta- are we talking about previous lives? That's why you got <laughs> connected to these areas? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I literally um, was, because my mom, when she was alive, would have Asian artwork and have African stuff. And, 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 and I got into the whole French and Italian British stuff. Well, cause I was all about the Beatles and, and all that. And well, that's British cool. cinema and all that. Yeah. And I dated a, a Brit for a while, but so to me personally, I've always been like really into the East <coughs> and, mm. In parts of the West, but more so the East. There's and, something there. And so I just found out that I have 40% Bantu tribe from West Africa, which they speak Swahili, and I'm going to be learning basic Swahili this summer. And then, because cool. uh, my whole thing was I wanted to use one 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 application to do it. So I said, I'll, I'll do the Mango app. <clears throat> I'll use the Swahili course. I have Swahili. <clears throat> Swahili Pot 101 and Katty Nadori and I are really good friends. Um, she's um, writing a course on Swahili. Plus, we're teaming up next year because I'm creating um, a language, an online language learning festival, and I titled it AfroLingo Fest 2020. Oh, nice. And basically, <coughs> it's going to deal with people who are in the language learning community that are the Af- African diaspora. So whether you're African American or you're Black from some other country, Latina and um, Asian population, the people in the Middle East, because we don't really hear from a lot of people that are of ethnic origin in the language learning community as much. Like, so Chanel, forty percent was African. Okay, what was the rest mm-hmm. for you? Your genetic makeup. Um, a quarter was Irish. Of course it was. <laughs> Boy, do I have a story for you. But go ahead. Um, and then I have part Blackfoot Indian from my my mother's mm. father, my grandfather, because yep. his mother was half <clears throat> Blackfoot and her mother was one hundred percent. I see. And then Cherokee. And yes. it's ranging from Oklahoma. Oh gosh. On my biological father's side, I don't know them at all. I wasn't. My mother raised me. <coughs> okay. So, so that's what I have that I know. Uh, of. Yes. Well, there's two. There's two factors that I think we need to consider. When we talk about our inheritance from the past. One is our genetic ancestry. Mm-hmm. The other is, of course, our previous lives. And maybe we're a combination of both. Now, that's interesting because I've always been into like genetics and like genealogy and history and stuff and and people's like biographies and lives. And I mean, I could tell you about a whole slew of people because I'm that much of a geek. So, so, I mean, for me personally, when I'm learning my languages, that's the first thing like I was telling Stu J briefly that we 
the reason why I want to learn Thai is because I studied film and theater in college, and that's my background, is the arts. Yeah. And so yeah. therefore, so therefore, I enjoy Thai cinema. Like I actually watched this one movie, and it was so good. It was called Still, and it was about this guy and this chick who were renting this room from this chick, and they went to some party. The building burned down. They said that they found her dead. He flipped out. And then he kept seeing that the water in the bathroom was turning brown in the sink. And oh. and come to find out, people had gotten murdered inside of this bathroom. Well, when you saw fingers coming out of the drain. <laughs> right. So the spirits of, of the dead still there. Right. Right. So it was like part horror movie, part suspense. Yep. But I had the English subtitles on, and I had voiceover reading it to me in English in the background, even though the tie was going on in the background, but with the voiceover, it's much louder, so you can't hear the tie. But I was sitting there, and I was watching this movie, and I was completely riveted by what I was watching. And then he moved out. He told her, I'm getting out of here, you know. And, <laughs> and he, she got mad because she wanted her money. He was like, I'm not paying you. Look at this, you know. And she was like, you didn't put cleaner in here? You didn't put cleaner? And I'm like, oh, my God. Then she goes and solicits people on the street to come into this room. And, you know, they do the do. And then she tries to get them to go into the bathroom knowing that they're going to die. Okay? Well, they did. And then the chick that got supposedly was dead wasn't dead. And came back and killed her at the end. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yes, exactly. And I I was like, ooh, I love this. And because I love food and I love to cook, I always try to learn vocabulary for food. Okay, why do we have these desires to do different things with our lives? And go back to the topic that you and I have in common is this fascination with languages. Right. You and I are the same. There's another language. We want to acquire it. In any language sounds great to me. I just I just can't wait to get comprehensible input and start acquiring it. What is it about us? In fact, for me, it's not any particular language. I kind of like them all. Right. Uh, and your genetic background, I don't know if it plays that big a role. Right. My wife, my wife, for example, has a background genetically very similar to yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we met as Peace Corps volunteers when we mm-hmm. were in Ethiopia which is back in the 60s. Peace Corps is a very good place to meet a partner, let me tell you, because you get someone with similar values. And when we started hanging out, uh, uh, she told me about, uh, she grew up in the South, in Birmingham, Alabama, African-American, Ooh. the whole thing. She's yeah. American-African. Uh, and she told me the story about this white baby that was left at the plantation and grew up and joined the family, became her great-great-great-grandmother. Of course, we found out later the baby was Irish, which is a common thing because the Irish worked alongside alongside the slaves, et cetera, and they bonded in some cases, et cetera. Right, right. But uh, I, my, wife's, my wife has a healthy interest in all that, but for some reason, her real fascination is with the British, British royalty, the royal family, the history of England, uh, classical English literature, so I wonder, same thing with me, my I've solid Jewish Eastern European background, and I respect it and I like it, but it's not what drives me. Right. There's something else. Our interests and our paths are very different from our genetics, or they're, at least right. they're not identical. They're not identical. 
I found the answer to this, by the way. My solution is to make up my own genetics and just pretend that it's true. I take a little trace of a little bit of evidence and kind of mold it to make it fit my lifestyle sort of thing. Yeah, you know, and it's it's so funny because in my family, like my, we, we are becoming lighter and lighter and lighter because there's a lot more Caucasian coming into our family. Oh, um, sure, 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 yes, ours too. And so, yeah. so it's sure. like um, we, they have like, I know that my cousin's son is part Irish and German and black. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, uh, and then my other cousin, she's part Mexican, black, and Chinese because her father's side was Chinese. They hailed from China. And then her son is Chinese, black, Mexican, and Puerto Rican because her, yeah. There's an upside to all this. This is a serious part of it, which I find very, very good. When we did genetic testing, my daughter, our daughter wanted to see what was going on. We, you know, we did, you know, Professor Gates at Harvard, the whole thing and swabs Mm -hmm. and all this. And we found with my wife, there was a lot of uh, Africa and there was Irish. Okay, and that solved the mystery, who this person was. We then got an email, are you my cousin? It was a guy from the East Coast, John Shrunkowski, who turned out to be a teacher, special ed, how do you like that? And his mom was, you know, had the same genetics. They came out to California with his partner, they're probably married now, who is a Jewish music teacher, can you imagine, Mm -hmm. all the parallels? And we got along amazingly well. We regard him as our cousin even though my wife and John have the tiniest bit of DNA in common, we are eager to make connections of family. The popularity of family reunions, which I find very, very nice. We are looking to find similarity with people that we would normally consider to be very different. So I think this is a path toward a lot of mutual understanding today. I like all this. I think it's Oh, yeah. I, I, and what's so interesting is that like my, I've always been into this, but the problem is, is, you know, how your grandparents, they come over, they want to forget exactly. where they left, exactly. and they want to start all over again, exactly. and so you're, either they're going to tell you the history, they or you want to find out by some distant relatives. They don't, they don't, same thing with the... Right. Um, on my family, they they came over what about a hundred years ago, a little more, and that was it. They uh, the the Yiddish language died. I'm the only. I I, I learned German first, and then I did Yiddish after that. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the other way around. But nobody mm-hmm. else knows it. Okay, just my relatives in Israel here and there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right, and there, you could never get information about the old country. They didn't want to talk about it. It's so funny because, like, I, I find that, like, one of my good friends that I met in college, she's learning disabled, but she's 100% Italian. So, her she can trace her roots all the way to Sicily. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah. And and so, Sicilian on one side, Italian-American on the other side. And, like, I was telling her mother I was learning Italian, and she was like, I need to learn it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself. Yes. Yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't speak Italian. That's my brother right. does. I don't. I'm like, That's oh my right. god. Like, literally. I mean, because for some reason, i I grew up around, you know, Hispanics. I grew. I grew up around um, Italians and and other minorities. And so for me, it's like you kind of feel like you're at home 
yeah. to some extent. Did you yeah. always feel that way, this pull toward other languages when you were a little girl? Yeah, actually, my first language was American Sign Language, believe it or okay. not, when I was yeah. a little girl. And, yeah. Um, because I had um, grandma seizures when I was little, and I had a whole bunch of energy. And my mother didn't know what to do with me. So one of her friend's children was learning American Sign Language, and she taught me. And I became fluent, but the problem was oh, over time, yeah. you you don't use it, you lose a lot of it. I do remember enough to have a basic conversation. Well, so, Benico and I today were talking about sign, and we looked on the internet and found stories in sign. Be nice to have libraries like that. I just interviewed Destiny Yarborough, um, and know. she is American, and she studies um sign language like she has this um this um website where she teaches people sign but she knows sign from every a whole bunch of different countries like vietnamese yeah i know it is difference yeah right and so we we had talked and i said well i learned sign overhand and you know, I also worked with special needs kids that were so developmentally disabled to where they couldn't use full sentences. So you had to do like one worded communication in order for them to understand what you wanted. Yes. You, you want to ask them. So you want you want water, juice, hungry, you know food you know so and we did that and they understood and we, we were able to yeah you, you had it in your environment right away in a rich interesting exciting form i didn't there was yiddish that we didn't pay any attention to and there was terrible language instruction in school i got excited about it when i went to europe for the first time but i've had i had the same uh experiences you did i would have started younger too yeah, I, I did also go to Alexander Graham Bell School in Cleveland where they had uh, a right. lot of deaf kids. And so right. I was able to practice up until the third grade. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then after that, it just slacked off. And then you I did one get good like. Yeah. yeah, I got. Um, I, I was on a bus where we had the deaf kids from the deaf school going home with us. And I would do some sign then. I mean, the last time I actually physically used my sign language was probably about 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and it's still there. I, yeah, it's still here. But I don't get to use it as much. But I, yeah. I did briefly on a bus. I signed to uh -huh. someone. And they were, like, really shocked that I knew what I knew. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know some. Very cool. Wasn't it satisfying? Yeah. Oh, it was. It was. I mean, like today, um, you know, oh, you've heard of the linguist Erdie? Erdie? No. Yeah, Erdie. Um, he's from Russia. And so he is uh, one, uh, one of uh, admins on Ollie's um, page on okay. Facebook. And so he has his own English language chat bots. He oh. does interviews with people. And so he, I had jumped on and he invited me to come on and we spoke Russian this morning. Nice. And, and he was like, your Russian is good. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Now, mind you, I hadn't used it in about a year, yep. mainly because I've been busy with other things and, you know, trying to keep my podcast going and interviewing people. Like I am going to be interviewing Steve Kaufman on the 8th. He's and, quite worthwhile. He's really something. I regard Steve 
as my language therapist. I love can, him. He's so you, real. Yeah, he's very, very good. And he is the real thing. No kidding. Well, yeah. you know, it's funny because Ollie said, you know, he actually enjoys the way that Steve learns languages because, yeah, yeah of course you're going to try everything. But at the end of the day, for me personally, it's like oh, I get satisfaction out of reading a book, but I, I do like to be able to know how certain things are laid out in my head since I can't visualize it. I mean, I can see some, but not enough to be able to read the print on the page or on the yep, computer. I understand. Yeah. So in my mind, I have to have some type of audio structure in order for me to say, OK, so this is the conversation we're working with today. This is, you know, here uh -huh. it is. And okay. then and then afterwards, I could sit there and, and, and get the, you know, get the gist of it, of, of what is being said. And once I get like 80 percent of it in my head, like let's just there you the are. first the first yeah. the first like a one level I take off after that. Um, and then uh -huh. I go and I look up words and phrases and then I'll, I'll say, OK, well, I want to know how this is said. Or I want to be able to listen to this and see if I can understand this from this podcast. Like I did, I listened to podcast Italiano and on, um, on my phone all the time. And I did that for like six, six weeks or so. So then I went back to Ollie's video where he shot himself speaking for 14 minutes. And I, oh. I did not realize this, but when I went back after six weeks of just, you know, just passive listening, I wasn't even speaking. I was able to understand about 95% of what he was saying. Wow. And, and wow. I literally start crying because I just, I, it was such a great, you know, a great thing to, to, you know, cause I, I boast about him all the time because what he does is first of all, to have that big of imagination and, and, and thrive to want to teach people through the art of story it's great. And then the fact that you're willing to include not only the text, but you're also including the audio as well uh -huh. in your books, your uh -huh. storybooks, because I have them in French, Russian, and Italian at the moment. And he, you know, I, when I interviewed him, I said, thank you for making your stuff accessible to all people, because there's a lot of people that are out here that are selling courses and they're not accessible with screen readers, such as voiceover right. for the Mac right. or Right. NVDA or Linux or um, JAWS for Windows for, you know, and, and I will say this, there are a lot of nice people in the polyglot community, but there are a lot of people that are very ignorant to other people and their disabilities. And uh, so I've seen that and I've experienced that personally. Of course. Yes. So, you know, I'm always telling Yan van der Ar from Language Boost, can you please, when you post stuff up on, on, on Facebook, there is a description box where you can describe what's on that page because you're putting in a JPEG file, you're scanning it in there, and you're putting it up on the, on the screen. And the screen reader that the person has on their phone, tablet, laptop, or mobile cannot read it. It's just a I blank see. screen, even I though there's see. words on it. And so you have to physically type what's there. Uh -huh. People have had to type out what was written because they will not do it. But you want to teach people languages, how to speak them. 
Well, I mean, technically, my theory on that is languages can't be taught. They only can be learned. Or by, acquired, yes. Right. By lots of sacrifice. It's not going to happen overnight. Now, I no. do admit, once you get learning whatever number you want, <laughs> it does become a little bit more easier. Yep. You know, but like I tell <laughs> A lot of people, you know, they stress out because they want to make sure they're speaking perfectly. You oh. are never going to. You don't even speak perfect in your native tongue. What makes you think you need to do it to someone it's, that doesn't know Kauf, you? Kaufman has helped me a lot with that. You know, perfection means you're never going to get anywhere if you want to be perfect. What he says, which helps me a lot, he says, other people don't care if you make mistakes. Isn't right. that remarkable? People oh, don't yeah. care. They don't. I said I wrote about that today on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I said, okay, stop worrying about the grammar and just speak. Then you get more input, you make more progress and you have a good time. Right. And I mean all these young people, I mean and I mean like I read these people's like messages and I'm like, okay, why are you putting yourself through this agony? It's not well, this is hard. The subjunctive in Spanish is hard. I'm like, yes. no, the subjunctive in Spanish is not difficult. <laughs> What's difficult is life. Yeah. Paying your bills is difficult. <clears throat> That's you true. Know, paying rent, finding a job is difficult. Keeping a marriage going is difficult. This is nothing. <laughs> You're right. That and, is and, very well put. And, and like they, well, for you, this might not be, I was like, okay, you need to take a deep breath and you need to relax because it's not that serious. Why are you trying to perform for a bunch of people that you don't even know? Very well said. Yes, and, there is this illusion of perfection and grammatical knowledge you think you should have, and it keeps people from making progress in language. It shuts them out. Now, I have a question to ask. Now, okay, I made a a little bet with myself that I would learn to a basic level only um, Icelandic, Finnish, Irish, Swahili, Greek, and wait, yeah, I think that was, oh, and Hindi. I did, I did do basic Hindi. I finished mm. that already. And so I said I would do basic levels in those because, okay, I'm not going to India anytime soon. I'm not going anywhere where I'm going to be speaking Swahili. But, I, but you know, I wanted to un know my two heritage languages. Oh, I see. Descent, and I yeah. am a big history buff. So I said, well, why not learn a little bit of Greek? You know, I was always big into the whole Alexander the Great thing and all that. And because I studied theater and I read all the plays and blah, blah, blah. Okay, why not? You know, just for the hell of it. So someone said, well, why are you learning that to only a basic level? I was like, because guess what? I get to learn about something. I don't, I don't want to be native in any of these languages. I mean, the idea of me being native in 17 languages is just like unheard of. Right. Um, and I said, I would rather be able to have basic conversations in these languages more so than okay, I need to talk about the economy and the G20 summit today and this, no, <laughs> mm. you know, you know, no, I'm not, you know, I, I kind of feel like these are the languages that will be basic and then the rest would be like 
Well, my French, Dutch, Italian, Cantonese, Thai will probably be B1 at some point. I mean, passively, my Dutch, Italian, and French are really high as far as me being able to watch the news and understand all that. You know, it's just not as active. It's probably an A2 active, higher passive. Well, it puts, all this puts you in a great position because if you these languages that you have gotten a good start with, where you're just kind of okay with, uh, when you're in this situation, you can always get more. Right. You don't have to start from ground zero. If you find yourself in this situation, you can always, you know, manipulate the conversation so you get more input and you can always improve. You're in a great position. Right. Because I know that, like, everybody's like, do you read anything other than Harry Potter? I was like, of course I do. But guess what? Harry Potter to me is, it, I guess from a bookworm standpoint, I like reading. And so for me to be able to listen to Harry Potter in another language and compare how that language was written oh. versus the other language or what what did they do differently? I mean, this is how much of a geek I am. You, <laughs> under, you understand, of course, that my favorite character in Harry Potter is Gilderoy Lockhart. He's my role model. Really? <laughs> it's so cool. It's oh, so You know what? It's so funny because everybody asks me, well, who was my favorite characters? Yeah. And I have to say Severus Snape and Voldemort. Uh, v- Voldemort is amazing. Yes. His, his character development by and itself. Snape, Snape got a bad rap, in my opinion. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. I cried when I cried when Alan Rickman died of cancer. I just. Uh, I never that, watched the movies because the books were so vivid. Um, I actually, it's kind of funny you say this. I, I'm planning on getting them in Finnish. Oh. Um, and I, I, it was kind of funny because last week I was watching Dr. Uh, Professor Arguelles, um video because he was in Finland learning oh. Finnish through mm. osmosis. I mean, through it's just complete immersion. And I mean, he picked up so much information in such a quick amount of time by, you know, mimicking the people and, and, and just, yeah, just That's being remarkable. Per- in the moment. I, I literally went and just did lesson one of like finish before I went to bed. And when I came back the next day, I was able to say moi, um, Olan Chanel, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was able to say those things. And then I was like, you know what, let me see how long this, this, this thing is for, for it. Cause it had like different units and I think it had like a hundred, a hundred lessons all together, which uh-huh. I think a hundred lessons for that particular course is maybe A1, A2, somewhere around there. Possibly, yeah. So Somewhere around there. And so I said I was going to skip around because there's certain things I'm not going to want to say anyway. Good for you. But, but I remembered, like, of course, all the, I had to ask the question and finish the, the difference between Han and Han. Because when you're saying he and she is the same word. Oh my! Yes, and so yeah. they said. Well, when you're listening to it, like you can in tell Chinese, the yeah. And so, oh really? Like, yeah, I was like, really? <laughs> okay, oh. I'll, you know, I mean, I, I, I am a part of a Finnish group. I did join an Irish, Greek, um, uh, Icelandic group, and and I, I did Icelandic on a dare, just because people kept saying how difficult it was, and I was like, this isn't hard. What are you talking about? Yeah, this is a Germanic language. Just, yeah, just another Germanic language. That's right. 
Right. I mean, if you know English, you know, you, you kind of know You're most one third of, of the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, my passive knowledge of German is amazing. My my active knowledge, my active of German, you can forget. Well, I mean, I really didn't want to speak it anyway. I was more into, I like watching Das Boot. I like Jurgen Prochnow. And I like Rammstein. Mm-hmm. That was it. And maybe I wanted to read Goethe at some point. Other than that, no. <laughs> I didn't want to speak it. But, I mean, like, I like Dutch. So mm. I got the Michelle Thomas course for Dutch. And, I mean, if I can understand Jan van der Aar, he's a native Dutch person, doing a YouTube video. And I can understand 90% of that without picking up a book. That, right. you know, it, it to me, it's... I guess it started clicking like last summer for me personally, when I was watching the um, documentary about the Scandinavian um, royalty, like the, the Christian, the ninth, the ancestors of the, the father-in-law of Europe. And oh you my, didn't realize how many people were related to Christian, the ninth of Denmark. He got like, around. Huh? Okay. Uh, yeah. His children, he married his children off his oh. first, his first, son got married to somebody from Sweden. His daughter got married to Alexandra. She was Queen Alexandra of England. Um, Queen, um, King wow. um, Edward VII's wife. Um, she then, you know, they had all their kids and her descendants is Queen Elizabeth II. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is how much of a geek I am. <laughs> so, so I, Just, I, I want to make a comment about this business of knowing a little of a lot of languages. Lomkato talks about it. Very nice discussion. She says, in some areas, it's not a good idea to know just a little bit about a topic. It can right. be dangerous. And my example of, of that, of course, is all the people that Trump has appointed to responsible positions in science who don't know sixth grade, sixth grade chemistry, okay? And it's yeah. causing the destruction of the planet. But she says, in language, a little bit is great. Right. It's wonderful. If you know a little bit, go ahead and use it. And it would be a pity to not try to say something because you're not sure that it's absolutely perfect. Right. And I tell people that all the time. And I um, actually had the block a really famous polyglot from my page because they were so negative. Yeah, uh-huh. really. And, um, well, pretty much this, she told me I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was oh. talking about. And oh, I my. literally said, okay, I'm tired of this, you know. <laughs> so... I just went on her page and we weren't friends anymore. And um, I blocked her from my page because I felt like, well, you're going to sit there and tell me this. And um, because I, I did not know if there were any like language events in the U S like, you know, like what, what Canada has for Lane fast and what Alex and, and Richard to do, do with the right. polyglot conference and, the, the others, you know, I mean, and Ollie is creating his own thing. So, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Actually, he, him and Ellen Verdia, I think. Don't I know. Forget, but she's from, she's from, she's from um, the Netherlands, too. Uh-huh. Her and Jan van der Aar and Ollie, they, they created the Language Influencer Summit this year. Oh. Where they okay. get bloggers, YouTubers, Instagrammers, 
um, anybody who is using language in a, a different way um, in, you know, business industry experts for a weekend in Berlin. And they have like, you know, like all kinds of workshops and different things going on. And so like, I think like 66 people attended this year or something like that. Oh, my. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he was, um, I was going to interview them for it, but he had to decline because of the timetable. However, they're putting out advertisement now for uh, the, the Language Influencer Summit in Berlin um, this good right now. And like it's 200 euros, which is like $227 and 60 cents, 66 right. cents in U.S. dollars. Too. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. so um, let me you tell know. you, I want to I want to deliver a commercial message before we stop. OK, mm-hmm. I want to tell you what I'm doing. And I'm, I think it's really important. Uh, I have declared war against all the journal publishers and technical book publishers. This is inspired by the Grateful Dead. You know about the Grateful Dead, right? Yes. Jerry Garcia. Uh, mm hmm. There you go. The Grateful Dead, years ago when they started touring, people would come and record them. Piracy, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the producers would go around saying, you can't do that. Take away your recorder and all that. The Grateful Dead turned that around completely. They said, do you want to record us? Go ahead. Take out your recorders. You want to share it with your cousin? Go ahead. We love it. They decided not to make money on recordings, but to make money on touring on giving their concerts and it absolutely worked there is another person that inspired me before i tell you about this radical idea uh, a british mathematician who won the fields medal in math which is mm-hmm. for scholars under 40 it's equivalent to the nobel prize mm-hmm. and about 10 years ago he started a petition it was against elsevier the biggest publisher of journals he said we write the papers we edit the papers we review the papers you guys get all the money and we get absolutely nothing, no more. He start, started a petition and he says, I, people who signed the petition are no longer subscribing to these professional journals, no longer reading them, no longer submitting papers. Mm-hmm. So thousands of mathematicians signed it, including my son who's a mathematician. And I started a similar movement in education. Education should be the first field that did this. Everything I publish now this isn't my idea. This comes from this guy in the UK. Everything I publish now is in what are called open access journals. Mm-hmm. They're all free. They're free to the person who writes it. They're free to the subscriber. They're all available for free on the internet. No fees, no nothing. The expensive books full of technical papers, no more. It all has to be freely. It's kind of a Bernie Sanders idea. You know, all all this knowledge should be available. We are doing it in the United States. It's uh, I have a website that has several hundred of my papers listed for free download. I announce them on Twitter and there are and I say, don't ask for permission. Just use it. Use it any way you want. And there are now about 15 of us doing this. And I think we are we are the future. My feeling is that the textbook publishers and the journal publishers need to go out of business. Right. They, need, they need to find an honest way of making a living. Right now, this, this wonderful research on language acquisition is not available because nobody can afford it. 
Nobody can afford the journals, etc. Also, the articles are too long and they're very poorly written. So my view now is I will not review any paper that's longer than five pages. Wow. Otherwise known as shit and get off the pot. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, this is, this yeah, is what I'm saying. I remember those days of buying textbooks. And I would actually buy my stuff used because of the you amount of to. money. You have to. You have to. The, you go to the bookstore now, the textbooks are in the hundreds. Nobody can do it. So the heck with it. Let's start all over again. And then they want to create another book, right? Yeah. And then all they do is switch the chapters around, put That's a new right. number on the edition, and That's resell right. it again. That's I'm like, right. really? <laughs> so, right, if the articles are short, like the, the article that won the Nobel Prize for the double helix was one page. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, no long literature review. No long lecture about what you should do next. You know how to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be reading right. a paper. So we're saving time and money and getting knowledge around, which is, I've just been doing this for about, about a year and a half. It's going pretty well. Oh, that's awesome. So thank you for letting me share this. Oh, you're uh, welcome. No yeah, problem. Catch us on. Catch us on. I mean, because I, I know for a fact, like, I tell the people that I do try to help with their English, you know, I say, you know, the first thing I ask is, what type of books do you read? Do you yeah. like to read? Mm -hmm. Do you like comic books? Do mm -hmm. you like, I mean, because that's another reason I'm learning Japanese for. Yeah. Not like, for the comic books, but manga. more so yeah. for like, I want to watch The Grudge and The Ring. And, you know, I want to watch, you know, Japanese cinema and watch like the Transformers and like freaking Voltron <laughs> in Japanese and Star Trek. There you go. Just laugh there you go. Off, you know, so. Yes. You know, and I mean, I actually did find a Japanese version of Star Trek Next Generation once a long time ago. I have read uh, hundreds of Star Trek novels in French and German. Oh, wow. Yeah, because you can get them from Europe and it's used, etc. And a few in Spanish, not too many. And I usually get ones I haven't read before. Well, it's funny because I haven't really read the... I was a big fan of the show. Like, I have, like, um, all three seasons of the original show, all seven seasons of Next Generation, and I have the only season of the anime, animated version um, on DVD. I'm trying to get it all on digital. But well, yeah. This, but the problem is, is that they don't, they don't have enough language tracks for me. Like they no, only they have don't. it in English. That's right. That's right. That's I right. mean, unless it's Netflix, where I can put it in Italian or French or whatever, and I still feel like they need more language track. I mean, because I'm spending all these different languages, yeah. and I'm like, dude, why don't you have it in this? I mean, they have it in the different subtitles, which is great. You know, I can have voiceover read it to me in this, you know, the subtitles in that language, and uh -huh. especially if I've already watched it, like in some other language. I mean, like English, like soap dish, I'll watch that. And then I'll have, like, I don't know, the Thai or Turkish subtitles and, you know, have it listen, you know, listen to them in, in that or French or whatever. Or I'll put a Disney movie in in, in French or whatever and, and listen to it. But, I mean, aside from that, it's like if you want, like, Middle Eastern languages, you want stuff in Thai or Cantonese. I'm having trouble even finding this stuff in French and German. That's how hard it is. Netflix is my friend. Hulu is my I friend. I can't do Netflix because the president of Netflix donated 
thousands of dollars to eliminate bilingual education in California. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. Oh. I'm sorry I mentioned that. <laughs> well, I, I cut out my, I actually cut my cable subscription off, believe it or not, as of like 14 months ago because it was too expensive. So now I only have the internet and yeah. then I have, which is through my apartment building. And then I have um, Netflix and Hulu. And then I watch PBS a lot. So, and I have YouTube. You can watch anything on YouTube. And then I have yeah, like a whole tons of DVDs and Blu-ray and digital movies and stuff. So I really don't need cable. And then I got tired of hearing Donald Trump's voice and seeing his face oh on TV. Oh my God. Oh my God. So yes, I just, you know, until this, I mean, right now they're in Japan for the G20 summit. I know. And I, I, know. Could, I could just imagine what the heck that's going to be like. I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, and, and right now I'm on punishment from Facebook. Because? So, because someone said that I was inciting hate. Oh, my. All because I said someone needed to grow the F up. Uh, and I didn't uh, say who. I just said it. And someone got offended and reported it. And I've been blocked for a week. It was... You might enjoy this. A poet, this was quoted in a book of uh, rotten reviews, uh, Howard Nemeroff. Mm -hmm. One of his poems was negatively uh, reviewed, nasty. And he said, I don't know what I did to those people years and years ago, but whatever it was, I wish I had done it harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it was so <laughs> funny because, because people from all over the place, like, uh, Stephen Eustace and a whole bunch of polyglots and people and just people in general from around the world that know me. I've been following you for years. You don't talk like you, that, please, that, I'm like, I know. Well, but people are being allowed to get away with so much stuff. Yep. And, it, and people, a lot of people are like Kirsten Cable took down one of her sites because she felt like Facebook was just not the place for it. Mm. You know, and it was for people who wanted to, to improve their business, you know. Oh, and, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I understand that. Like, I mean, I just have my personal page. I don't even have a group. And someone said, why don't you make one? I was like, why? So someone yeah. can try to infiltrate it and shut it down. I mean, they're trying to shut down my friends group that I'm in right now. And it's oh, specifically my. for black women who are yeah. language learners. And And I said, you can't expect people to not want to have a space where they can express themselves in the way they want to express. That's not being racist. There's uh -huh. nothing like that. They just want a space for themselves. You can't expect people to include everybody because they're not going to. And they have that right. That's the group they created. There's certain guys, I mean, no men are allowed. It's just okay. all black women. Yeah. And so she had to put it you know, secret because someone wanted to try to have it shut down and she only had it up for right. 10 years. And I just right. said, you know, when you get to that point where your freedom of speech is being oppressed, you know, everybody's like, Chanel, we'll be here waiting for you to come back and speak. Yes. And I was, yeah. like, I, I was like, I have other ways. I mean, there's Instagram, which I'm still learning. There's YouTube, which I'm still trying. To, I don't you know, do Instagram. I have trouble enough just doing the few basics. Because right. the, by the time you master a new technology, it's obsolete. Right. I mean, like, I, I do tweet a lot, 
now. Twitter's so, great. I like it. Um, I want to. I want to catch up to Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm following a lot of people, but at the same time, I mean, my, it's not as big as my Facebook page. I mean, I have well, over 4,100 people now. For me, it's to share research on Twitter. Right. Yeah, and make yeah. comments occasionally. Nasty yeah. comments about Donald Trump can't resist. Oh, I, well, you know, I actually asked him a question. I never got the, oh, you weren't there to see that. But I ticked him off last summer. Well, good job. Because I said they need to get him out of the office effective immediately. Oh, yeah. And so Don't this was right after the, the Helsinki meeting he had with Putin. I was waiting God. for Putin to do something, embarrass the crap out of him. I, I just, I really wanted to see that. Which he basically had the upper hand the entire time, and I knew this. Yeah. So I turn around and I'm like, he is just so stupid. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. I don't know if stupid is the word. It's part of it. Well, actually, they think that there's something mentally wrong with this man. Oh, of course. Of course there is. I, I mean, yes. like psychologically, he might yes. actually have like Alzheimer's or he might have dementia or something or Parkinson's. It's called the Kruger effect, something Kruger effect. Um, Mark Twain was the first one to, to discuss it. The, the effect is, uh, his, Mark Twain said, the key to success in politics is ignorance and confidence. You combine those, you get Donald Trump. Yes, and unfortunately... You're, you're, so, you're so ignorant and you don't know it and you confidently go ahead and do these things. It never occurs right. to you that you might be wrong. Right, and what's so sad is that, like, we have Dun an election Dunning next Kroger. year. It's called Dunning-Kroger, sorry. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have an election next year. And I'd yes. like to see how many people are going to go out and vote. Vote early and often. Do it. Yeah, I, I've been voting since I was, like, 23. I would have voted at 19, but it, I, I had moved. and <laughs> yeah. I was still in high school at the time, so I was like, okay. Uh, but when I did, you know, I've been Democrat all my life. And, and personally, you know, I... What he's done is just a travesty. I actually told someone, I said, if he gets in, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> we have thought about this, of course. Well, California would just leave. It would exit. I think yeah. it's probably a good move. I mean, because it's just, it's, it's, it's just really sad. And, you know, I look at all these kids and people at the border. Oh, we need a wall. No, we don't. Okay, you want no, another Berlin wall. You want another... I'm sorry. Uh, no, I... He hasn't thought any of this through. It's just. Oh, no. And the Republicans aren't helping anyone. Oh, my God. They're awful. Look, kid, I got to go. Okay. Oh, okay. But it's been more than wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It was really fun. Okay. All right. All right. Talk to you again sometime. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. bye.